Bokar Tov, we're continuing Sefer Melachim Aleph. We are in chapter 21. Uh, a couple of weeks ago was the last time we were together. And we did the end of chapter 20. Basically, we, we had the story of the uh, king of Aram who attacked Achav. And God basically blesses Achav with victory. Twice, actually. And then Achav has a chance to kill him. And remember what Achab did? He basically said, no, he's my brother. He uh, kind of was excited for the opportunity to be accepted by the enemy king. And he lets him go for some, like, basically for some benefits, some economic benefits that they will open up roads for the Jews to do business in Damascus and things like that. Nothing. And he'll get a couple of cities that were conquered by Aram. They're going to get a couple of those cities back. He did not kill him. The Navi then came to Achav and basically said, you've done the wrong thing. If, if there was such a decree, if you were, had a friend, he was given, gave an, an example and he said, if you told your friend to watch this guy um, and then the friend stopped watching him and the guy got away, wouldn't you punish the friend? So he's like, you're doing the same thing. This guy was supposed to be, you, you had him in your grip and you just let him go for no reason. And he says, because you sent the man that I want to Kill, God said, or the man that I wanted to destroy. So he said, because you sent the man who I wanted to destroy, your life is going to be in place of his life and your nation instead of his nation. Meaning there's going to be a time when you're going to have to pay dearly for this mistake in letting the king of Aram go. And the king of Israel, Achab, goes back to his house, upset, angry, and he comes to Shomron, which is the capital of the kingdom of Israel. Okay, so that's where we stop. Now, we're going to take a digression from this story. Now, if you remember that story, the story we did in chapter 20, was a digression from the story of Eliyahu Navi. Because in the previous chapter, Eliyahu was basically told that he has to step down from his position. He had this 40-day uh, and 40-night journey that he didn't eat and he didn't drink. And, uh, Who sat in his place? It was Elisha. Elisha. It was Elisha. And then he was supposed to bring a new king on Israel. And uh, he had to also announce that there was another king. Um, that were Basically, there were three things that he had to do. If you go back a couple of classes, you can see what Eliyahu was up to. So this chapter 20 was already a digression from the story of Eliyahu. Now we're going to further digress into a very, very famous story about a man who had a vineyard named Navot. And this is one of the most famous stories that are, that's known about the king Achav and his wife Izebel. It's a fascinating, fascinating, beautiful story. And reading some of the commentaries, I was able to... Well, Alex Israel, actually, in his commentary, had some very, very brilliant insight about how kingship was understood by the Jewish people in those days, which is very, very applicable for any era in which politics is front and center, okay? So chapter 21, verse Aleph. It was after these things. After these matters, there was a vineyard that belonged to a man named Navot, who was a Jezreelite. The Jezreel Valley is like basically in the north middle of the country of Israel, okay? So... Uh, he was a, a Jezreelite that was in, in Jezreel. Etzel Echal Achav. And it was next to one of like the... Uh, Etzel Hechal Achav. It was next to like a... Uh, 
what's the, what does it translate? A palace. A palace, one of the palaces of Achav that was king in Shomron. Okay, Pasuk Bet. Now, I think this Shomron happens to also be the region that a lot of the Jezreel Valley is within. So it was probably close to Shomron, this, this vineyard, okay? Pasuk Bet. So Achav goes to Navot. And Navot has this beautiful vineyard. And Achav wants the vineyard. So he goes to Navot and he says, Please give me your uh, vineyard. And it will be for me a garden. Because it's close to my house and I, see, and I desire it. And I have you know, lands all across the country. I can give you some other vineyard somewhere else. That's even better than this one. It's just this one is good for me because it's close to my house. Okay, so I can give you a vineyard in its place. And if it's good in your eyes, I'll give you the money according to its price. Okay? Um, I'll give you a, a money according to the price of your vineyard. Okay, so Achav really, really wants this vineyard and he makes an offer to Navot. And it's not like a, a predatorial offer. He actually opens up and he says, Look, it's close to my house. I would love it. I would love to have it. And if, you want, if, you, if you're open to it, I can give you another vineyard somewhere else. And I'll pay you for your vineyard also. Okay? And Navot says to Achav, Forbidden from me for God, from God to give you the portion of my forefathers. A little bit of an intense rebuttal. Now, I, I don't know what the, the, the subtext is here, like why Navot is so defiant in his response. I have a hunch that it's because Achav is known as a, as a idol-worshipping king or a king that, that steered B'nai Israel in the direction of, of Avodah Zarah. And if you listen to the tone of Navot's response, he says, forbidden from me from God. Meaning, if this is like David HaMelech or Shlomo asking Navot for such a thing, maybe the response wouldn't have been so defiant. But I can imagine there is an element of that here, that you know, he knows Achav to be not the best king. And already we're seeing a fascinating thing about the kingship of Am Yisrael. How does, does Achav seem to have eminent domain rights on the vineyard of Navot? Not at all. He goes to Navot and he basically supplicates the guy. He says, please, I'll give you money for the thing and I'll give you a better vineyard. Like, does the, is, is that consistent with what you would imagine like, you know, King of Aram would have done if some person in his kingdom had a nice vineyard that he wants? Of course not. Meaning that it shows that the King of Israel was bound by by a very, very um, intense respect for the property rights of the people. And one of the beautiful things that I never noticed until now was that the whole concept that God is the, is the controller of the land and God gave out the portions to each tribe that we saw in the book of Yoshua, that's something that, that essentially reinforces the concept of private property rights. Because everyone who possesses land knows that their land came from God in a, in a lottery that was done in Shiloh before the Aron or before the whatever, before the Mizbeach. So 
when everybody is thinking about their land, they're thinking my land belong, comes to me from God and it's my possession from God, as we see in the answer of Navot. And when Ahav wants to approach the guy, as much as he is king, if the Jews are thinking properly about the order of power in, in the world, they know that God is higher than the king. So, so their property rights remain respected even by the king. It's, a fa- it's, a, it's like a brilliant, it's almost like a brilliant scheme to ensure that property rights are respected by people in power. But I never realized until now how incredibly influential the fact that the land was actually apportioned through a lottery by God in the Beit HaMikdash, how much that would have enshrined property rights into like the, the understood law of the land. Amazing thing. Yeah. Okay? So we see that in A, in Navot's response to Ahab, and B, in Ahab's reticence to even make a request for the land in the first place. And he really asks him to make a fair, we'll do it as a fair transaction. Something that you would have to necessarily agree to. Okay? Once again, Achav, this is the second time Achav is going back to his house upset and angry. On the matter that Navot, the Jezreelite, said to him, And he said, I will not give you the portion of my forefathers. And he went on his bed, he turned his face and he didn't eat any bread out of how upset he was. He was ashamed, embarrassed, frustrated that he wants this vineyard and he can't have it. Okay? We're going to see now, his wife is going to come into the picture, which is obviously not going to end well. The key thing to keep an eye out is how the story that's told by Ahab changes. Okay, so what we've seen so far is Ahab, when he approached Navot, he said, please give me your vineyard and it will be for me a garden because it is close to my house and I will give you instead a better vineyard and I will pay you its dollar value. Okay, and then Navot said, Far be it, let it be forbidden from Hashem, me Adonai, for me to give the portion of my forefathers to you. Okay, now let's see how he explains what happened when he speaks to Izevel. Okay, and his wife Izevel approaches him and she says, And she says, Why is your spirit so um, uh, bitter? And why aren't you eating bread? And she said to her, and he said to her, because I spoke to Navot the Jezreelite, and I said to him, please give me your vineyard for money. Or if you want, I could give you another vineyard instead. Either way, that's, that's an honest thing. He said, I can give you... For, for money or for vineyard, which we've already said. And he said, what did Navot say to him? Say it back to me. I will not give you my vineyard. Okay, so what does he leave out of Navot's response? Forefathers, Hashem. Forefathers and Hashem. Okay. A, probably because Izebel wouldn't appreciate Hashem because she doesn't serve Hashem. She serves Baal. Yes. And B, the whole forefathers thing was a very, it was a very Jewish concept. Like, this is the portion that my forefathers got in the original lottery that was conducted by the Kohen in, under the for, uh, oversight of God himself. Right? So he's leaving out all the Jewish thing and he's making it look like Navot is just some guy who has his, his vineyard and he wants his vineyard really bad and he, and he doesn't want to give it up. Okay? 
which is a fascinating thing. Okay, Pesuk Zayin. Vatomer Elav Yisavel Ishto. Ata Ata Taaseh Melukal Israel. She says to her, her husband, Yisavel uh, says to her husband, now it's time for you to actually be king over Israel. Now you will do what kings do. Kum Echol Lechem. Go eat bread. And let your heart be merry or let your heart be happy. I will give you the vineyard of Nabota Israeli. Okay? Look how the way she says, now it's time for you to be a real king. Yeah. Uh, and this is again, this highlights the difference between how kingship is understood in Am Israel versus outside of Am Israel. Outside of Am Israel, you can, you're not it's just normal. The rest of the you're, world, you're like not King just. Kong says, "I want this land. I'll even give you money. Like, sure, no problem." Exactly. Forget, back. forget the money. You won't even forget take the money. money. You won't even yeah. give the money. It yeah. doesn't have to give the money. Okay, now you're going to be a real king. Okay. Pasuket. Now, what does Izevel do? Izevel is now going to basically figure out a plot to kill Navot. Okay. Pasuket. Vatiktov sefarim b'shem Achav. Vatachtom b'chotamo. She wrote. Uh, letters in the name of Achab and she signed them with his sig- with his uh, signet. And she sent the letters to the Zikenim and like the princes, the elders and the princes that were in his city that were that would dwell with Navot. And she said in the letters, call a fast, because something very bad has happened, and put Navot in center stage. Okay? Meaning, like, essentially put him on trial. Okay? I think that's what, that's what it means. Well, how do they translate it? It says just to declare a fast and see Navot at the head of the people. See, it's similar to the head of the people. Meaning, I think it means, like, put it a, means, yeah. declare a fast and... and Make it known that Navot did something I like wrong. Translation because, okay. Like, and put two wayward men next to him, men that are liars. Mm-hmm. And they're going to testify about him, saying, You have cursed and you've blasphemed the God and the king. And then take him out. And stone him, and he will die. This is the, the message that Izebel sends to the elders of the city of Navot to do to Navot. Okay? The elders of the city and the princes of the city that were dwelling in his city, uh, they did exactly as Izebel sent to them. As was written in the letters, that she sent, and they called a fast, and they brought Navot to the center stage, and then two wayward people, liars, came, and they sat against him, and they testified falsely, obviously, and they testified about Navot, saying, that Navot cursed God and the king, they took him out of the city, and they stoned him, and he died. And the elders replied to Yisabel and said, by the way, job is done, we've done your wish. Why is it translated differently? It says, it said, two unscrupulous men came and sat opposite him and the unscrupulous men testified against Nabot in the presence of the people saying, Nabot has blessed God and the king. Uh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you why I'm, I'm translating that. Um, the berach, the Hebrew word berach means to bless. 
very often in Hebrew, whenever we want to say, um, let's say someone blasphemed against God, they say, Berach Elohim, he blessed God. And the reason is we're using a euphemism. We don't want to even hint or like let the words come out of our mouth that someone would curse God. Mm-hmm. So you say he blessed God and everybody knows to translate the Berach as thing. Here is, that's what it's saying, because it wouldn't make any sense. No, why would he be deserving of getting stoned if he blessed the king and God? She doesn't worship Hashem. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, what about the king? Yeah. You know, so yeah. It, it's talking about it's the like, curse. Okay. Um, if you look in Rashi, Chiluf Shel Kilala. He cursed. It's just, that's, I'm surprised he didn't translate it literally, because typically it's just understood. Okay. was stoned and he's dead. Go, Izebel says to her husband, go and now take possession of the vineyard of Navot, who refused to give it to you for money. For Navot is not alive anymore, for he is dead. Now, look at, look at the way she reinvents the story one last time. Why did Navot, Navot didn't give it to him for money? Is that, was that the crux of like, was that all it was about? It was a monetary thing yeah. that he's foolish. He, he didn't accept your monetary offer. There was more to it. He, he didn't want to give the portion of his forefathers. It wasn't an issue of money. Okay, but she monetizes it at the end. So like you see the story of, of what Navot's real intentions were, never make it to Izevel, and Izevel never even considers them. It's not like, that's not, she's not thinking on those terms. Um, Izevel is a fascinating paradigm for what kingship was outside of Am Yisrael and what happens to kingship inside of Am Yisrael when we let Avodah Zarah infiltrate. Okay, because the second you let Avodah Zarah infiltrate and, and the king is not bound by God, just the thing we explained about property rights. The fact that God oversaw the division of the land and ensured that everybody had possession of their property and that gave them the force to defend their property against the king. Right? Now, the second you introduce Avodah Zarah, into society, and there's no God at the helm who is the one who is the arbiter of who earned, who has possession of land, then obviously property rights become, or, or that, that, that foundation of our property rights is on Israel, they go away. Okay, so, you know, that's just a, a natural progression that property rights develop. And it was when Achav heard that Achav went down to go to the vineyard of Navot to take possession of it. Okay, so we'll continue. Really fascinating story. I love the philosophical things that, that um, are opened up for discussion here. I'm very excited about the chidush of the division of the land being such a force for the preservation of property rights in Amisrael. I think it's a, it's a very, very... Um, Novel and original Hidush. Okay, Baruch Amen. Amen. Amen.